Hello, and welcome to the Science of the Covenant podcast. This is a podcast where we will study the Bible and the biblical covenant and its deeper meanings, especially in today's times. I remember when Terrell Owens was playing football and he said, get your popcorn ready. Well, you can have your popcorn, but we want to make sure that you get your Bible ready as we go on a journey in studying the scriptures. If you don't have your Bible ready, please, we encourage you to take notes of the scriptures mentioned and read them at a later time or re-listen to this podcast when you are able to follow along with your Bible. Now, I would turn it over to my co-host. So, what are we going to be exploring in this episode? Well, we're looking on the 28th of uh, September, which is a Monday, we're looking to the Day of Atonement, and that's one of the annual feasts. And we have three annual feasts in the fall of the year, and we have three in the spring and one in the summer. And here we find that the Feast of Atonement is the sixth feast. And then we're looking for a tabernacle. So what we want to do here today is to look at the Day of Atonement. And as we look at the Day of Atonement, we want to put some things in perspective. And if you have your Bibles, I want us to turn to the book of Leviticus And in the book of Leviticus, what we want to do is turn to the 16th chapter of Leviticus, Leviticus chapter 16. And in the 16th chapter of Leviticus, we want to read a few verses, and we want to start with uh, verse 6. That's Leviticus 16, starting with verse 6. And... We'll read down to verse 10. And here it reads, it says, And Aaron shall offer his bullock of the sin offering, which is for himself, and make an atonement for himself and for his house. And he shall take two goats and present them before Yehoah at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And Aaron shall cast lots upon the two goats, one lot for Jehovah and the other lot for the scapegoat. And Aaron shall bring the goat upon which Jehoah's lot fell and offer him for a sin offering. But the goat on which the lot fell to be the scapegoat shall be presented alive before Jehoah to make an atonement with him and to let him go for a scapegoat into the wilderness. Now, in this discourse, what we want to look at as we contemplate the Day of Atonement, we want to look at the sacrificial system. Now, the Day of Atonement plays a great part in the sacrificial system. Now, one of one of the ongoing issues concerning the sacrifice of Yeshua, our Messiah, is that for some in the in Christendom, 
when he was crucified on the tree, his atoning death was completed. And when you look at the atoning act being completed on the cross, there are many who don't go any further than the de his death on the cross. And as such, nothing else was needed after he was sacrificed on the cross. And what we are looking at is that when he expired on the cross, that there were some other things that we should take into consideration. Now, what we want to do in this exposition is to view the atonement from the standpoint of a system rather than as an isolated incident, separate and distinct from the rest of what took place after his death. For many years in the so-called Christian churches, the cross of Calvary was taught and preached that Yeshua's death on the cross provided one with a complete atonement and that Yahuwah's law was done away with and now we are no longer under the law, but under grace. In some ways, Yeshua's death completed the atonement. However, in some ways, this isn't true. To a large extent, as one probe into the sacrificial system, one will come to discover a broader view and a deeper aspect to the atonement than is commonly understood. What we would like to do is to consider this broader and deeper concept of atonement as a part of a sacrificial system. Therefore, what we want to do is to explore what we would call the sacrificial system. As I stated, most churches, denominations, and Christians have been taught that all we have to do to be saved is to embrace the cross of Calvary and believe in the death of Yeshua for our sin and we and will be saved. They attribute this act of dying on the cross as being sufficient to be saved. This alone promises the repentant salvation from sin and a right to be a part of the kingdom of Elohim. However, with such a limited view as this couple, with such a narrow understanding, provides the repentant justification, which is the imputed righteousness of our Savior. However, with such a concept as the crucifixion on the cross alone, on the cross alone, without the mediatorial ministry of our Messiah leaves no room for the sanctification, which is the imparted righteousness being applied for our future journey with him. If Yeshua's crucifixion alone on Passover was sufficient and nothing else mattered, then quite a bit of the atoning process would go lacking as far as sanctification is concerned. The former was for 
to cover our sins, and the latter was to restore in us a life of righteousness. So justification covers our sins. Sanctification helps to restore the image of Elohim within us. While they both compensate one another, if we stop at justification, then where is the sanctification? We were justified on the cross, but after the cross, we have to continue to walk in sanctification. So if we stop at the cross, then sanctification may be limited. When we deal with justification, it largely deals with the covering of our sins. The Hebrew word from which we derive our word atonement comes from the word kippur, kippur. The word kippur is the singular form of the word which means to cover. The plural form would be kippurin, meaning coverings. So one is a plural and the other is singular. However, when it comes to the Day of Atonement, in the Hebrew, it is called Yom Kippur or Yom Kippurim, respectively, meaning the Day of Covering or the Day of Coverings. Now, the word for day in Hebrew is Yom, Y-O-M. So Yom Kippur is what we call the Day of Atonement in English. Such a covering was done once a year to atone for the Israelites. It was the blood of the animal sacrifice which was used in the Old Covenant in type. However, it was the blood of Yeshua, the son of Yeshua. It was, it was the blood of Yeshua, the son of Yahuwah, the lamb of Elohim in which the new covenant in Antitype, it was his blood of the new covenant. Now at this juxtaposition, what we would like to do is to trace the atoning blood of the sacrifice from the time the lamb or the goat is brought to the courtyard of the tabernacle sanctuary to the time it is taken into the tabernacle and the high priest comes out of the sanctuary and puts all of Israel's sins upon the head of the scapegoat. In this part of our discourse, we will refer to it as the circular, the circular tourist system, the circular tourist system. Now, when we talk about the circular system, what we are talking about is that when we go into the sanctuary, the blood and its application has a certain circuit in which it makes in order to make the blood applicable for the repentant. So the circular, so the circulatory system is what we will be looking at. It is this circular Torah system that Elohim showed to Moses that we want to observe. 
the blood gotten from the sacrifice would be channeled through the sanctuary. So what we want to do is to trace the route of the blood in the tabernacle sanctuary from the initiation of it from the hands of the repentant to the time when the high priest disposed of Israel's sins upon the head of Azazel, which is the Hebrew for the scapegoat. What we must understand is that in the circulation or the circulatory system is how the blood sacrifice for each repentant is attributed to the sanctuary in the behalf of each individual who is atoned for. We will deal with this circulatory system from three aspects. And in these three aspects, we'll cover the first aspect this evening. And then on a future program, we'll deal with the second aspect. And then on a, after that, we'll deal with the third aspect. So the first aspect will be that of the blood circulating phase. We call it the blood circulating phase in type. And then we'll deal with these phases in antitype. And so when we look at these three phases, we'll, we'll, we'll be uh, covering them in the light of the day of atonement. So we'll have the circulating phase in tight. Next, we'll have the explanation and the defining of these phases. And then third, we'll deal with these phases in antitype. So these are the three things that we want to look at. The circulating phase in tight and then the explanation and defining of these phases in type, and then we'll deal with these phases in antitype. Let us now consider the circle, circulate, circul, circulatory system phases. We want to look at those phases. Okay, now. So what it was is that on the Day of Atonement, when the high priest was atoning for the sins, if we go to uh, Leviticus 16, and we're going to start with verse number 1, it said, And Yehoah spake unto Moses, saying, After the death of, of the two sons of Aaron, when they offered before Jehovah and died, and Jehovah said unto Moses, Speak unto Aaron thy brother that he come not at all times into the holy place within the veil before the mercy seat, which is upon the ark, that he die not, for I will appear in the cloud upon the mercy seat. Thus shall Aaron come into the, the holy place with a young bullock for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. He shall put on the holy linen coat he shall have the linen breeches upon his flesh 
and shall be girded with a linen girdle, and with the linen mitre shall he be attired. These are holy garments, therefore shall he wash his flesh in water, and so put them on. And he shall take of the congregation of the children of Israel two kids of the goats for a sin offering, and one ram for a burnt offering. So here is, is, is showing the high priest's preparation for making the atonement for himself, his family, the tabernacle, and also for the children of Israel. And it goes on further to say in, in verse 6, And Aaron shall offer his bullock for a sin offering, which is for himself, and make an atonement for himself and for his house. So these uh, days of this day of preparation uh, was that Aaron had to first get himself and his household together. And then after that, he was to do it for all of Israel. Now, what we notice here in verse seven, he said, and he shall take two goats and present them before Jehovah at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. So he had two goats. And Aaron shall cast lots upon the two goats, one lot for Jehovah and the other lot for the scapegoat. So the two goats that he had when he cast lots, he wanted one for Jehovah and the other for the scapegoat. Now, the one that was Jehovah's uh, goat was the one that was going to be used in the atoning process of clearing the sins of Aaron, his family, the sanctuary, and also the Israelites. The other goat was to be used for the scapegoat because eventually all of the sins that was placed on Jehovah's goat, they would take that blood and they would take it into the sanctuary. And then the other goat, according to the Bible, it says in verse 9, and Aaron shall bring the goat upon which Jehovah's uh, lot fell and offer him for a sin offering. But the goat on which the lot fell to be the scapegoat shall be presented alive before Yahuwah to make an atonement with him and to let him go for a scapegoat into the wilderness. So what we're basically saying here is that there, there were two goats. Elohim had a goat, and then there was a scapegoat. Elohim's goat was to offer his blood for the sins of the people. And then once they did that, this blood had to circulate through the sanctuary. And so what we want to look at this evening, we want to look at uh, the process the process by which this was done. So we want to look at, we want to stay right here in, in the 16th chapter where it talks and give us a description of the Day of Atonement. And this time we want to look at, uh, we want to look at verse 11. 1611 says, And Aaron shall bring a bullock of the sin offering, which is for himself, and shall make an atonement for himself and for his house, and shall kill the bullock of the sin offering, which is for himself. And he shall take a censer full of burning coals of fire from off the altar before Jehoah and his 
hands full of sweet incense, beaten small, and bring it within the veil. And he shall put the incense up on the fire before Yehoah, that the cloud of the incense may cover the mercy seat that is upon the testimony that he die not. And he shall take up the blood of the bullock and sprinkle it with his finger upon the mercy seat, seat eastward, and before the mercy seat shall he sprinkle of the blood with his finger seven times. And then verse 15 says, Then shall he kill the goat of the sin offering that is for the people and bring his blood within the veil and do with that blood as he did with the blood of the bullock and sprinkle it upon the mercy seat and before the mercy seat. And he shall make an atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanness of the children of Israel and because of their transgressions in all their sins. And so shall he do for the tabernacle of the congregation that remaineth among them in the midst of uncleanness. And there shall be no man in the tabernacle of the congregation when he goeth in to make an atonement in the holy place until he come out and have made an atonement for himself and for his household and for all the congregation. And he shall go out unto the altar, which is before Yehoah, and make an atonement for it, and shall take of the blood of the bullock and of the blood of the goat and put it upon the horns of the altar round about. And he shall sprinkle of the blood upon it with his finger seven times and cleanse it and hollow it for the uncleanness of the children of Israel. Okay, now, here's what we want to do. We have looked in the scriptures, and they are telling us that the blood that was shed by the bullock for the family of Aaron and the blood that was shed by the goat for the children of Israel it had to go through a system, okay? So let us deal, let us first uh, deal with the first phase, okay? And we're going to walk through this uh, as if each one of us on the Day of Atonement is trying to get forgiveness of sin. So this would what what we call phase one. Phase one is when the repentant, comes and he confesses his sins over the head of the lamb. Okay. And so uh, the process in which we're looking at, in which they did this, was that when they sinned, they would come to the priests and they would bring the, the goat, the lamb, or whatever offering they could afford according to their status. And once they brought it, according to Leviticus chapter 1, and we want to look at a statement, and this statement uh, is repeated a number of times, but we want to get, get, get it here and, and look at the process, okay? Because we're looking at phase one. Now, 
in Leviticus chapter 1 and verse 4, it says, And he shall put his hand upon the head of the burnt offering, and it shall be accepted for him to make an atonement for him. Okay, so when they came to the tabernacle in phase one, they put their hands upon the head of the sacrifice, and that was when they were confessing their sins over the head of the lamb or the goat or the bullock. So that was phase one. They had to confess the sins, and their sins went on the sacrifice. So when the goat was there, then all of the sins were put on the goat's head. Okay, that's phase one, the confession stage. You confess, this, you, could, you put your hands on the head of the goat, confess the sins over the head, and that was the first phase. Now, the second phase was the slaying of the lamb and collecting his blood in the basins. So after they confessed their sins over the goat, the goat's throat was cut, the blood dripped out, and they would collect some of the blood in a basin. Okay, that's phase two. Phase three, some of the blood was placed on the horns of the brazen altar of burnt offerings and poured some on the ground by the altar. But if you remember in our scripture, it says that the priest took his finger and he sprinkled it seven times before the altar in order to purify the altar. And then it says in phase, uh, in phase, uh, in phase four, now phase three was what was done in the court by taking some of the blood, sprinkling it seven times before the altar and taking uh, some blood which he had, and he would dip his finger in it, and it was he would touch the four horns on the brazen altar to sanctify the altar. And then he would sprinkle seven times before the altar in order to purify it for the altar and the cleansing of the sins of the people. Now, much of this is symbolic, but as we go on, we'll be explaining these phases, but we just land the phases out right now. So you have phase one is confession. Phase two is a slaying of the lamb and collecting the blood. Phase three, some of the blood was placed on the horns of the altar and, and sprinkled seven times before the altar. And then in phase four, blood was taken and sprinkled in the most holy place of the sanctuary before the Ark of the Covenant. So once... They went into the sanctuary. Then what they did, they would go before the Ark of the Covenant. Aaron would go in there, and he had plenty of incense, and he would take that incense and put it on the golden altar where prayer was being made, and that smoke would rise up and go over the veil into the most holy place where Aaron had to go, and it would cover the mercy seat where Elohim was sitting between the two cherubims. And the, and, the, and the smoke would go in, and it would cover the mercy seat and also the Shekinah 
that represented the glory of Elohim and also the cherubims that was on the top of the mercy seat that was on the wood that was the lid for the ark of the testimony. And in the ark of the testimony, they had the pot of manna that had a testimony of when they traveled in the wilderness for 40 years, that it was a manna that kept them alive. And then it had Aaron's rod that buddy. And it also had the 10 commandments that he had given to Moses from Mount Sinai. So, uh, when he went in there, all of that was in the ark and above the ark, as I pointed out on both ends of the lid on the top of the ark of the covenant was a cherubim, uh, were cherubims on either end on both ends. And in the center, we find it was a Shekinah glory that represented Elohim himself and the angels wings. They arched up over where the Shekinah glory was, and they touched one another. And the other wing of the cherubim, they touched the walls. And so when we look at phase, uh, phase, phase four, phase four was when the blood was taken and sprinkled seven times before the Ark of the Covenant. And when it was sprinkled seven times before the Ark of the Covenant, then we go into phase five. Phase five was the blood was cleansed from the sanctuary. On the day of atonement, they would clean the sanctuary of all of the blood because the blood that was in there represented sin. And they called this the day of atonement. And the day of atonement is also a day when our sins are to be cleansed. And then when the, uh, when, when the sanctuary blood was clean, then they went into phase six. The confessed sins are placed upon Azazel and sent into the wilderness. In other words, all of the sins of the people that had been confessed on the goat. And then when the goat's blood was taken in the sanctuary, and then when the sanctuary was clean, then the same sins that Israel had been atoned for, they were now by the high priest confessed upon the head of the scapegoat. And they called a scapegoat Azazel. And when they put all of these sins upon Azazel, they would send the scapegoat into the wilderness. And he would roam in the wilderness until he died. And then the phase seven after the scapegoat had gone into the wilderness, then we find that phase seven, the high priest changes his clothes. You see, he had the white linen mitra on his head. He had the white linen breeches, And then he had the white linen robe on. And then he would change into the high priest's garment. And as he did that, then that meant that the atonement was complete. And now they can get ready to be able to finish the rest of the year in rejoicing, knowing that their sins was forgiven, and the next feast would be tabernacles. So what we have looked at basically is 
is the circulatory system. And as we look at the circulatory system, we are looking at how the blood was circulating through the sanctuary in order to bring about a meaningful atonement. And so what we are seeing here is that the altar in the court is symbolic of a sense of the cross. But once the sacrifice was sacrificed, then his blood would circulate in the ministry of the high priest to go before the Shekinah glory where the father was in order for the father to approve of the sacrifice that was given. So what we looked at is basically the circulatory system and the phases in which the blood went through in order to be able to atone for the sinner. Now, in our next discourse, we'll be dealing with the explanation and defining these phases. In other words, all seven of these phases have to be defined so we can properly understand them in type so that when we go to the antitype, then it will give more explanation about the process of the atonement on the day of atonement, which is Yom Kippur, or in English, the day of atonement. So we're going to draw a conclusion for this phase of our study and look forward next week to the next phase in which we'll define these things and explain them in type so we can understand in, the, in our final lecture on this, we can understand better the antitype when we begin to study that as well. So we open it up at this time. Uh, it may be some observations or some concerns that you may have concerning the sacrificial system on the Day of Atonement. So now, in this day and age, we know we don't uh, sacrifice a lamb or a goat. So is it that Yeshua, or for those who don't know who Yeshua is, is the Jewish name, Hebrew name, I'm sorry, for Jesus, is he, was he our scapegoat? No, uh, he, he wasn't our scapegoat. And I, that, that's, that's a very excellent question, Carl. Uh, even even today, even today, I've gone to uh, messianic services, and there are many uh, that teach that Yeshua, he was both goats, and some teach that Yeshua was the scapegoat. But we'll find in our studies uh, in the next two lectures, uh, as we give our discourses, that no, he was not. He was not the scapegoat. He he mm-hmm. he, he was not. But we'll be answering. That, that question ends some of the other discourses that we'll give, but he was not the scapegoat. I can tell you that okay. right offhand. And matter of fact, uh, now that you asked the question, when we present this again, we will show in the scriptures why many people feel that he is the scapegoat. There are some scriptures that if you read them, they give the appearance that he was a scapegoat. But if you read more methodically, you'll, you'll see that he was not, he was not the scapegoat. Okay. So that's, that's, 
a key for you to tune in if you want to understand that more to the next episode where that will be explained. Now, uh, now, the Day of Atonement is, is uh, a day that is supposed to purify and take away our sins, correct? We're supposed to atone um, for our sins? Yeah, that, that's, that's correct. Now, now, properly to understand the Day of Atonement, mm-hmm. like a lot of people say, well, uh, they get forgiveness for sins on the Day of Atonement. And they said they do that every day. So what makes their day of atonement so special? Mm-hmm. Okay. But one of the things that we might keep in perspective on the day of atonement, which is different from every other day in which sins are forgiven on the day of atonement, they, they, your sins are not only forgiven, but your sins are taken away. All of the accumulated sins that you have cum- accumulated that particular year, when you come to the day of atonement, and this is why we often fast on that day to make sure that we look into our lives to see if there's any sin and that the Holy Spirit may point out to us if there's any sin that we should confess it. And when we confess it, then we can look for the cleansing or the atonement to be effective in, in our case. So on that day, we're not only looking for forgiveness, but we're looking for Elohim to say, hey, all of the sins that you've accumulated I'm now taking them away. They they are no longer attributed to your record. And from that point on, you continue to live a life of sanctification. And you wait for the next year to do the same thing, you know, because we are creatures of sin. But if we have a habit of coming for forgiveness, then on the Day of Atonement, we are forgiven, yes. But he said the record is clear, you see. You, you don't have any more sins after that you have confessed them on the day of atonement. So we look for, com- we look for to confess our sin and to be a uh, pardon of our sins and for the record of sin to be done away with. And I think that's one of the major things is that our son, our sins are disposed of. They are no longer uh, have any power over us and there's no record of them anymore. He just, he does away with them. So, so what is the difference then if someone says, well, I've taken communion because isn't communion supposed to be a representation of uh, taking away your sins also? Well, see, uh, communion was a supper that Elohim had with his disciples and it celebrates his life and it celebrates his death. He says, that when you eat this supper, you do show forth my death until I come. Okay, so when you have Elohim's supper, you're talking about his death, and you're also talking about his second coming. Moreover, the bread represented his flesh, mm-hmm. and the grape juice represented his blood. Now, there is some merits in taking that supper. Now, many, they call it the communion service, but Elohim, when he instituted the Passover service, he simply instituted uh, the change from a lamb that had to be slain. And he told his disciples, this bread that I'm giving you will represent my body. 
and this grape juice or the fruit of the cup will represent my blood of the New Testament or what he was basically saying of the New Covenant. And so that would represent it. That will give you some forgiveness of sin. Mm -hmm. But again, I go back to the premise is that the supper is a time during Passover to be able to get right. Okay. But remember, Passover was the first feast. Mm -hmm. So whatever sins you had, it was still on the record. It is true. You can do your supper, get some cleansing. Okay. But we must keep in mind, the sin is still on the record. Mm -hmm. But by the time you get to atonement, he clears the record of sin. It's not just a forgiveness, but the cleansing of the record. Yes, you can by partaking of those uh, type of service. But we teach that the Bible teaches that Passover was when he instituted that, that supper. And when he instituted that supper, it was not to take the place of Passover, but merely to take the place of the sacrificial lamb or the goat and things of that sort, of which I said we'll be talking more about that in our next lectures to follow. Okay. Well, that's more incentives for you to tune in because we got more juicy stuff, I tell you. So, Pastor, can you take us to the throne of grace? Okay. I love and Father, as we look at the phases of the blood as it circulated through the sanctuary, providing the necessary life, of Yeshua in order to be able to atone for us. So now as we approach the day of atonement and look forward to our sins, not only being forgiven, but also to be erased, that you would help us to be able to see very clearly that your word is still binding. And as we follow the phases of the blood, as it was circulating in the sanctuary that we can be able to see individually for each one of uh, uh, each one of us that as the blood atones for us then we can be able to go free and the rest of the year oh father we can be able to continue to work on the sanctification of our lives that when you do ultimately come that we also have confessed our sins and made it right that when thou dost come, O oh, Heavenly Father, you won't find any blemish, any scar, any type of malfunction within our spiritual life that would prevent us from being with Yeshua when he comes. So we ask that you would help us to clear the record by confessing our sins. And you said, if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And once you have cleansed us, you will do away with the record of sin. And one day, when you make your appearance, sin will forever be eradicated, and thy people will one day go back to the life that was intended for Adam, to have a life that will measure with the life of Elohim himself. In Yeshua's name, we do ask it, and for his dear sake, we do pray. Amen. Amen. And amen. Amen. Well, we would love to hear from you. We would love to hear your comments. If you even have any questions, 
or concerns, we ask that you email us at scienceofthecovenant at gmail.com. Scienceofthecovenant at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Well, that is our show for today. We want to encourage you to follow our podcast weekly. And as it states in the second Timothy chapter two, verse 15, study to show thyself approved unto Elohim, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth until next week. Shalom.